This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. We are on the fourth episode of a crazy lager tear here for the podcast. I didn't didn't do it intentionally, but I just kind of realized the schedule oriented so we had four lager brewers in a row, which shouldn't be a thing. We've had four ale brewers in a row before, you know, many, many, many times. So I don't know, even know why I'm pointing that out as something special. This episode is one that I was excited about doing. We are taking this episode straight from the cover of our summer issue of the Brewing Industry Guide. And Lisa Allen, head brewer for Heater Allen in McMinnville, Oregon, is joining us for the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks for having me. You've got a fun family story with a, uh, a, a homegrown uh, family approach to lager brewing. And it's uh, I can't wait to dig into how, why, and what you all do. But first, like your flagship beer, you can rely on G&D chillers for the same quality and consistency. G&D guarantees that every chiller they build will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. They never stop. They draft. They craft. They service each and every brewery, big or small all in an effort to build one hell of a chiller. For nearly 30 years, G&D has been committed to cold. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Raw North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. So like I said, if you want that full background story on Heater Allen and, uh, and their approach to business, life, brewing, and everything else, check out the latest issue of the Brewing Industry Guide. And for all of you that have industry all-access subscriptions, I'm sure you have already read it. We're going to dive a little more deeply into the lager brewing approach for, for Heater Allen. And there is some of that in the story because Joe definitely dove into the way that you all brew Pilsner. Um, we're going we're gonna to cover some of that ground also, but I certainly encourage you to check out that story. Lisa, you know, for those of have who have yet to read that story. Why don't you uh, share some of your background, how your arc into brewing progressed and how you uh, got to this point uh, now making the beer for Heater Allen? Um, yeah. So my dad started Heater Allen in 2007, um, kind of on a nano brew system. Um, and then uh, after a year, graduated to a, a seven barrel system, which actually is now at Wolfson People. Uh, in Newburgh. And um, I came on to the brewery in 2009, at the end of 2009. Um, I actually worked in wine prior to working in beer. Um, and uh, yeah, I was kind of went to go work at the brewery to help my dad out because he was kind of, I think, a little bit in over his head. Um the brewery was getting more popular and um, he needed, he definitely needed help. And then also I think had scheduled a joint replacement of some sort in there. <laughs> um, so I uh, went to go work for him and thought it was going to be a temporary thing. I was like still taking wine classes while I was working. Um, and then uh, went and worked one more harvest, took like a month off from the brewery um, in fall of 2010. And after that decided that I wanted to stick with beer. Um, and yeah, so I've been at the brewery ever since, uh, and still, still enjoy wine, but, um, you know, I've always loved beer, so it wasn't really that hard of a transition. Beer has always kind of been a part of my life. I feel in some way, um, growing up, my dad was, um, a home brewer and as were, was my uncle, and then, um, yeah, I always really liked beer. So <laughs> I grew up in the Portland area. So I grew up kind of and uh, grew up around the craft like scene. I mean, obviously not really because I, 
you know, wasn't sure, drinking right away. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I remember going to McMinimins when those first were a thing with my parents. And I mean, my parents were uh, supporters of craft beer. They always had different, you know, Deschutes, Bridgeport, sure. all that sort of stuff in the fridge. Um, Living the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I grew up around it and I didn't really, I was like, I feel when I did start drinking, um, I feel like I was that like annoying, you know, 19 year old that was asking my friends that were um, of age to like buy me a six pack of Mirapond <laughs> instead <laughs> of like just getting, you know, Coors Light or Bud Light or whatever anyone, you know, they were, they were buying for everyone else. So... <laughs> That's fantastic. So you came up familiar with craft beer. Yeah. And it was yeah, just totally. something that you're always around. Yep. Yeah. And so then you step in to help dad with production at this small brewery where dedicated to lager brewing. Talk to me a little bit about focusing that brewery in the early days on lager brewing because that was a weird move for Oregon in 2007, 2009. Yeah, I think um, originally – I mean, those were the beers I think my dad wanted to drink, which was why he wanted to um, start a brewery that specialized in lagers. Um, and no one was really doing it. Um, there are a couple of breweries that every once in a while would come out with, you know, a Pilsner. Um, but no one had anything on their like main of their like main beers that they were producing at the time. Um and certainly and, not a lineup of multiple loggers <laughs> yeah. that are year-round things, and that is all that they focus the brewery on and brew, right? Exactly. Maybe, and maybe a couple at that <laughs> point around the country, but certainly not, yeah. Yeah, in the area, it was, like, not, you know, not very common. And so, um, yeah, he just, you know, kind of – and that's why he was a nano brewery, I think, to start, was because he was kind of seeing if there was a market for it in the Portland a nano area. nano making loggers. That yeah. sounds like a um, – <laughs> business recipe for disaster i know well and so i mean he didn't have any investors or anything like that so this is you know his way of kind of doing it slowly and um making so he could actually do it sure um, sure and then yeah and then after a year um he was like well i either need to get out of the beer business or i need to get a bigger system because this is not sustainable <laughs> as being a nano logger right, brewery right um, yeah, so that's when we went to the um, seven-barrel system. Um, and, yeah, now we're on a 15-barrel system. I should say that, too. We're not, we're right. not, we're not still, still brewing on a, on a little system. Um, and just kind of had this idea of, like, growing slowly. And as, you know, <clears throat> I think, too, we've kind of just grown with loggers in a sense i hate i mean not in that like craft loggers i feel like it's sure, you know sure. they've slowly gotten more popular and you know we've kind of slowly grown the business um up with that so that late 2000s would have been like some expats who had spent time in in germany and czechoslovakia and or, or the czech republic and be wanted those beers that they might have had back then but there weren't as many like it was still the prime time of craft versus lager, uh, you know, in American craft beer where certain breweries were trying to, you know, fight this made up fight against the idea, very idea of lager, um, you know, throwing everything into the lager side of the thing would have been a, you know, pretty bold move. Yeah. And I, um, and I will say too, like, I think, um, I do think the thing that, uh, me coming into the brewery, because I had worked at, even though um, it is, you know, different, obviously, working at wineries, but um, my dad had never worked at a production facility before. Right, he had never, right. he had gone and, you know, did brew days with folks and, um, and like toured breweries and things like that. But um, there were certain things, certain aspects, I think, that I brought into it just from that point of view of being like, oh, well, we, we should do this. And how, did you think about doing this? <laughs> All of those sorts of things. So you were in production, doing some sort of production for winery or for wineries? Yeah, I primarily worked harvests was my, okay. sure. um, I also had experience doing tasting room stuff too, but um, I really liked the production side of it. Uh, so yeah, that is what, that is primarily what I did. It's 
um, you know, you're at for a winery, you're really busy during one time of the year and right, then it, right. you can kind of coast the rest of the year. So, um, so you get into the brewery and you're working with your father and your dad, Rick. <laughs> yeah. And what role did you take on and how did you all decide to you know, kind of move together through this business? Um, I think he originally hired me primarily to clean kegs. <laughs> so sure. Was, sure. Um, it was smart. Uh, I mean, because who wants to do that? <laughs> exactly. And we didn't have a keg washer at the time. So it was a very manual process. Oh. We didn't like take we, you know, kind of rig something up. So we didn't we weren't like taking out spears every time. Right. But we like had a little system to do it. And I like to joke that buying a keg washer was my first raise at the brewery. <laughs> so um, then, yeah, it got to the point where um, I needed to do other things and um, couldn't get because it was so slow cleaning kegs the way we did. Like right. it would all the kegs we had. Um, I think once it got to taking me two days to clean all the kegs I had to clean, then it was like, OK, we need we need to fix this. You just need to make more beer so that you can make <laughs> yeah. more money to buy the keg washer. And then, exactly. you know, then you get into the endless hamster wheel of funding the next investment that you then need to sell more beer in order to pay for. Exactly. Where, where do you go from washing kegs? You know, at some point, obviously, spending two days washing kegs sucks and you want to do something <laughs> that's a little bit more creative and rewarding, uh, you know, within the brew house as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I would say originally after cleaning cleaning kegs and that sort of thing, I really kind of became a seller person. Um, we the process we would do with our beer required um, racking the beer out of one tank into another, like racking out a fermenter into one tank and then racking out of your like bright tank into essentially like a lagering or out of lagering tank to a bright tank. Um, and so it was a lot of then like cleaning tanks, moving beer, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it's a small business too. So I also did things like I delivered once a week for probably the first, I think three or four years I worked for the brewery. Um, cause we self-distribute for the most part. And, um, so yeah, I think you, you know, wear a lot of hats and that sort of stuff. And then, um, as I'm doing the seller work as well, starting to learn more about the brewing process and then helping with, um, helping with brew days and, uh, things like that. Um, but, uh, I don't, I mean, I started, I think it took a while for my dad to actually, no, I, I take that back. I was going to say, cause I brewed when he was out with his hip, I did, I did brew by myself. So and that was, that was probably spring of 2010. So, but uh, he's very, he was very like controlling, I think in those early days, like not wanting me to like mess anything up or anything like that. So. Which I can totally understand as a like parent child dynamic yeah. that you love your kids and you want to teach your kids and you want to bring your kids to that. And yet at the same time, your kids are never going to be ready, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you just know them too well. And, and so, no, I, I get that. Um, I would love to talk. To, let's talk next about how you kind of moved from the kind of general brewing you know, brewery tasks and then started taking over, you know, more of the brewing role. But before we do that, the world of craft beer is a different place now. Margins are more important than ever. So why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, with nearly 20 years of innovation and experience, Brewmation specializes in electric, steam, and direct fire brew houses complete seller solutions and automated controls for the craft brewing industry from a half barrel to 30 barrel systems brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style whether you're starting a new brewery upgrading your cellar or just need some parts to keep you up and running brewmation has you covered visit them at brewmation.com to get started so Lisa, at some point here, you went from uh, dad letting you brew when he was out uh, getting a hip replaced to, uh, <laughs> to kind of taking over the reins on on the brew house. Um, talk to me about that kind of process and uh, and how that transition went. 
Um, I think it was, it. I will say it was a pretty slow process. Sure, sure. Um, looking back on it now, too. A lot of earning like, trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it was one of those things where it just kind of all of a sudden slowly became um, me brewing more and more by myself. Um, and him having to do other things, uh, him definitely taking more of the, I mean, he's always done the business stuff, but just being busier with that, all of that stuff. Sure. Um, and so it the just growth itself and that growth of lager finally got to a point where he needed to do more of the other things too. Yeah. I think it was also when I felt I, um, I could, like, I think at, as right. a, you know, when it's your parent too, sure, sure. I started kind of, um, or you even know, felt like, like you wanted to do it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I wanted to was, do it and being this like, This is going to be this path you're going to follow. Yeah, like being like, we should do this. Like, I'm going to start doing this now. And I think once I started kind of doing that stuff, he was like, okay, I can I can safely pass this on to you. I, I trust that I trust that the beer is in good hands. So even though I'd been, you know, dealing with it for years. So... <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just mildly passive aggressive, but no, that's uh, <laughs> okay, Dad. I can do this now. You can take the training wheels off. No, it that's uh, yeah, that definitely sounds like um, me even dealing with my own kids in, in that kind of scenario. Like, can you do it? I'm teaching my 16 year old to drive right now, or 15 year old, how to drive right now, and it's I think a similar process where. <laughs> yeah. There will come a point where he's just going to drive and he won't be ready for that in my <laughs> mind until he's at least 18, but he's going to be doing it before that. And I'm just going to have to be okay with that. But I, I think I, I enjoy what you say. Like there was a point where you started making your own judgments, driving your own you know, kind of, you know, suggest making creative suggestions, technical suggestions, process, and we're approaching the art of brewing and the, and the, the craft of brewing you know, from your own perspective, which reflects this kind of internalized drive and intrinsic motivation, which certainly says, hey, maybe I'm ready for more of this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think I think, too, he wanted to step back from doing some of the physical things as well. So um, I, I think that it was like a good transition time. I um, left him for, I think it was like almost three weeks to go on a trip to Germany. Um, and I think, I think that him doing all the, all the cellar work and brewing by himself again for just that short amount of time, he's like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to definitely take a step back from this. Where, uh, where was the moment where you started thinking, Hey, this is how I think we should improve things in the brew house. Um, you know, I can't remember an exact moment. I think it was just, I think part of it was, um, as I kind of got more, um, confident and also like meeting other, um, meeting other brewers that, uh, I, I felt comfortable talking to, um, and just kind of going out more, going to like CBCs and going to more MBAA conferences and kind of being like, huh, we don't do that. And then why don't we do that? And then like looking into it and being like, we should do that <laughs> type of thing. Like, right. it's an easy thing to do. Why don't we do this? Um, so just things like that and uh, trying, I mean, I, you know, uh, my because my dad never had a traditional, you know, education in brewing or anything like that. Um, I think he, uh, he still did stuff in some ways, how you would if you were a home brewer, um, which is perfectly fine, but you have to change some things once I think you especially get to a certain size. Um, and so it was kind of realizing some of those things and changing some of those things. Um, and also I've, you know, I don't have a huge, you know, long education in, in beer, but I've, you know, gone to the did a UC Davis short course, which I think helped a lot too. kind of learning more of technical side of brewing. Um, because like, you know, know the science of alcohol from the wine side, um, but kind of learning more 
um, the technical side of the beer side uh, is very helpful. And so going to a few, like a couple of courses and stuff like that, I think helped as well as, you know, like I said earlier, just going to like NBA conferences and things like that. Sure. Talking sure. to other people. <laughs> and as people started to make more lagers too. So. Sure. What was the, the first beer that you cons- concepted, executed, and were truly happy with? Um, that would be the, um, the Shtika Alt. That was really um, my first beer that I would say that I like did the complete recipe for. And that was, it was a while after I started the brewery. This, you know, again, control freak. Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, But, uh, and that was fall of 2013. Um, And we still do that beer. So um, we, it's, it's in our regular rotation. Uh, But yeah, um, that was the first beer I really did. Um, And I'm, I was happy with it. I was happy with how it turned out. I've always tweaked it a little bit. Um. I would say the other beer I've been working on the last few years is our, it's like a Franconian, we call it a Franconian amber lager called Zwickel beer, um, which bothers a lot of people, I guess, but whatever. Um, the fact that we call it Zwickel beer. Uh, but um, I'm, I've been super happy with that beer, uh, especially this last version. That's why, kind of why does my, that bother people? I think it bothers people because um, for not some pale reason enough. it yeah they 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 assume a Zwickel beer should be like a pilsner, right. um, and a Zwickel beer can be any sure. beer really. So, right. Um, so I think that I think that bothers people, but. Those, not, those little things. <laughs> I'm not saying that lager purists are just out there itching for an argument over things. Not, <laughs> not saying that at all. But there might be a few of those folks out there in the broader beer world. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the the Heater Allen approach to brewing. Um, you know, one of it's a challenge that every lager brewer makes to both adhere to tradition and to build these beers that fit within a broader idea of these things. And because that kind of classification and that idea of what these beers are is important to people, these beers have to both fit within that tradition and then somehow also exhibit a character that is, you know, somehow, you know, uh, representative of your brewery's approach to brewing. How do you all navigate that that kind of big question when it comes to lager brewing? Finding a character for what Heater Allen means, what that approach is, what that point of view, you know, that you can apply to that, so that these beers don't just taste like a cookie cutter approximation of something that somebody's tasted in Europe at some point in the past, but also reflect you know, this kind of creative idea that you all bring to it? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, as I think a lot of other lager brewers will say, the the biggest thing for us is time. Um, we give our beers a long amount of lagering time. So from, like for our pills, our flagship, um, from brew day to when we release that is at least eight weeks. Um so it's usually two weeks in fermenter and then goes in lagering tank for six. Um, I would say the other thing that is really different about us at Heater Allen is that we don't fine or filter. Um, and we're just relying on time for that, um, for clarity. Um, and uh, and I think that gives our beers a definite character. What, what? How would you define, do you articulate that character in some sort of way? Yeah, I mean, I do think it has, because you do get a little bit of that, um, I think you do get a little bit of yeast character. Um, And to me, I think it comes across as like a breadiness um, that, especially in our Pilsner, which I'm drinking right now, um, you get kind of, yeah, it's almost like a fresh kind of bread character that you get um, that I think is, I mean, you get that in other beers as well, but it's kind of like different. It's like a little more pronounced, I would say, um, than in other beers. And I don't, I think that it's not necessary. I mean, I'm getting that definitely in the, I get that in the Pilsner. I don't think it's necessarily in all of our beers. Um, yeah. But uh, in the Pilsner, I think the combination of the Sots hops and um, the fact that it is unfiltered 
you get this really kind of nice, yeah, this nice really breadiness to it. Now, unfiltered doesn't mean hazy or turbid. It, it just simply means like the very faintest little bit of cloudiness that just <laughs> yeah. happens after everything drops out and uh, there's still a little bit of, uh, you know, of, of yeast and protein or, and, and whatnot in that beer, right? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, um, this got shook around, so but the beer I'm drinking isn't it's pretty clear. Um, but yeah, uh, it, um, I think most of the time our, our beer, by the time we're canning, it is pretty clear. Um, you do, I think it, uh, you will get like a little bit of haze to it. Um, sometimes too, I think, you know, you can leave a little bit in the can, um, that will there, cause the yeast settles really nicely in the, in right. whatever package it's in. So as long as you pour it slowly and, um, you can get a nice, nice clear color. I love, uh, listening to lager brewers, um, you know, comparing the brightness of the beer when I was talking to, uh, Dusan of, of Live Oak, you know, they were, he was focusing on how they use corn because it just makes that beer that much more sparkly, you know, comparatively. And I mean, you know, look like from a visual perspective, you are parsing out some of the finest piece, you know, like finest points of, of clarity there. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's amazing to see that, you know, that lager brewers in particular do get down to that kind of granular level of thinking about these, the actual color and, you know, transparency uh, and clarity of the beer in these incredibly fine gradations to, to, uh, you know, differentiate between each other. Nonetheless, let's talk about your cellaring process because obviously that's a big piece of this that feeds into that kind of longer lagering time and, and that unfiltered end. Um, what does that cellaring process looks like? And I'll, I'll work backwards and then talk about later, you know, about uh, ingredients and, and approach too. Um, but I'm curious about that because you mentioned earlier transferring into um, you know lagering tanks to brights. You know, how what's what's that uh, sequence of fermentation look like for you all? We actually don't transfer. We don't, um, we're not moving the beer twice anymore. Oh, typically, okay. <laughs> um, we have, uh, we have better tanks now. So okay. this is the, yeah. this is the old school tank that we had to, um, did not have a racking arm or anything. And so we essentially had to come off the bottom of the tank. And so we, um, Ooh, in order yeah, to, yeah. yeah, in order to prevent a ton of yeast, we'd usually rack it out of fermenter let it sit for about two weeks and then um, rack it into another tank that we would then package from. Um, so now, yeah, we have, um, I think too, if I were to set up a brewery now, I would set it up completely different, but I, I'm sure probably like most brewers say that. Um, we uh, have um, a bunch of 15 barrel, um, they're actually upright, uh, tanks. And so most of our beer gets lagered in those and those have racking arms. So we are just taking off the racking arm. You um, are the cylindrical, cylindroconical, uh, <laughs> you know, school of lager brewing. Yeah, we do have, I mean, yeah. And we would prefer to have more horizontals. We do have two 30 barrel horizontal tanks. Um, those are great. Those are relatively new to our addition. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then we have one big 30 barrel um, upright as well, which uh, I that one I have been trying to use for package. So um, the horizontals don't, um, it's really hard, especially they, they're stacked on top of each other. So the bottom one is really hard to um, can out of. And so I've actually been, um, we've been racking out of that one into the 30 barrel upright. Um, so that's been great, but uh I wasn't able to do that this last time. So it's like <laughs> the tank juggling is 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 real. <laughs> when you have beer that is in uh needs to, you know, sit in a tank for 6 weeks, it's uh sometimes sometimes difficult to kind of juggle everything around and figure out how stuff is going to work. You've painted yourself into this corner with <laughs> eight week lagering times. I know. And so, yeah. It is what it, you just, you know, brew a, an ale with a 14 day turn and get it out of a tank and not have to worry about all of that. But 
then it wouldn't be a heater allen beer exactly. um from a, a yeast process uh, you know obviously that's a, a major contributor to character for for every lager brewer that we talk to yeah what uh, talk to me about the heater allen approach to yeast so we, um, I'm actually fiddling a lot with how we do yeast, um, but um, this is just like how I harvest and stuff like that. Um, reading not more, with different strains. reading more things, not with different strains. Yeah, um, we use uh, 3470 BSI, um, and uh, yeah, we we ferment at 50 degrees. Um, we do not do a diastole rest. <laughs> um, no, why not? Um, we have found that we haven't had an issue with diastole because we let our beer lager for so long. Mm. Um, so, uh, if it, I, I will say, so I said two weeks in fermenter, but I mean, sometimes fermentation takes longer. Um, so we, um, we spooned everything. Everything is naturally carbonated. Um, so I, I just have a, I have a period of time where I'm just like, okay, it has to be have spooned and like reached final. And then after this long, then I will like rack it into a lagering tank. Um, so I do have like a little bit of a process. Um, but, uh, it was, it was really funny when, because I, you know, came from wine and, I, you know, uh, working for my, working for my dad, who has pretty much, you know, just been at Heater Allen. And I remember the first time I heard someone, I mean, this is early on, but someone was talking about diastole rest and I was like, diastole rest? What's a diastole rest? Um, just because we never did it. And, um, and yeah, and then I looked into it and I was like, do I need to do this? And it's like, well, we don't really have a problem with diastole. So I guess I don't need to do it. And I knew what diastole was, obviously. I just had never experienced a diastole rest. <laughs> well, you know, there, I mean, there's so many other things that can feed into it. It's all about looking at that process that works with the ingredients and in brew house that you, that you use. And so there's, I mean, yeah, you can say there's a right or wrong. There's not really, there's just the way that produces the beer that you want it. <laughs> yeah. That, that you want to, you know, call Heater Allen beer. Yeah. So are there, you know, other impacts there? Like, are you using malt, base malt, Pilsner malt that, uh, you know, that tends to not throw off as much diacetyl? Are you boiling more rigorously or, you know, at an altitude or some something that is, you know, like, uh, you know potentially volatilizing those compounds faster that, that might not uh, require a diacetyl rest? Um, I think I actually think a lot of it has to do with um, with yeast, actually. Um, I think that if you give and I think leaving the beer on the yeast actually really helps um, the 3470 is great at, um, I, I think it's in my experience, it's a low diastol producing yeast anyway. Um, that's not to say in the, in the right conditions, it will not sure, produce diastol. Sure. Um, but I think that, um, we have always had a tendency to kind of over pitch a little bit. And so part of me kind of wonders if that has to do with it as well. Um, and now, like I mentioned, we're kind of starting to change how we do yeast a little bit, just um, trying to uh, make sure we have healthier yeast and all of that. Um, so because we we actually did have a little a little blip with diacetyl. It was a very small uh -oh. blip. And <laughs> <laughs> so I think it I think it had what to do happened? with yeast. What health, happened? Though. It was just. I mean, very in in very small quantities. I think uh, one of our batches had a little bit of diastole in it, um, and I think it was because we actually, uh, I think we just moved out of fermenter too fast. Honestly, is what happened. It was I was um, trying to <laughs> trying to get beer moved, and uh, yeah, moved it into lagering tank a little bit um, sooner than it should have been moved into lagering tank. So. Um, but yeah, and I, I do think it was a yeast health issue too. I think that, um, I think it was slightly that, I think that batch was like slightly underpitched, um, mm. and underpitched rather than overpitched. Um, so yeah, which is why we're, we're honing in our, honing in our yeast practices. Um, when you right say now. we, there are two of you that work in the brew house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have. It's a pretty expansive staff of, uh, <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
I know. I have uh, in fall 2019. I um, we <laughs> we hired help. Um, yeah, I have a, a seller guy. Um, although I should say maybe assistant brewer. He's pretty much he's pretty much trained on the brew house now. Um, Matt, you and won't he's quite been great. let him do it all by himself. <laughs> Is that he's, what you're saying? Um, no, he's, I'm, I know I'm, I'm kind of controlling too. Um, you know, right. like, like father, like daughter. <laughs> um, uh, no, he's, he's, uh, I mean, there's just certain small things to remember and stuff like that. Like I think any brewer will sure. tell you. And, um, so yeah, but I'm pretty confident that he could brew by himself. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So it's the two of you and you brew around Fourteen, fifteen hundred barrels of beer this year. Um, this year it's we were this is a weird COVID. Year. COVID yeah. kind of messed yeah. us up. Um, in twenty nineteen, we did I think just under fifteen hundred barrels, and then um, I mean, if we would have, it's I mean, it was early in the year, but we were on track. If things had been going as they had in um, twenty twenty, we probably would have been about the same, maybe closer to 1500, maybe slightly over. Um, instead, I think we were about 1200 barrels. Um, and then, uh, I think we're on kind of track to do between 13 and 14 this year so far. So we've upped those numbers a little bit. Um, but still a small cult lager making business yeah. over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're slowly slow. We're, we grow slowly. We're growing slowly. <laughs> Sure. Well, let's talk about some of the uh, the other parts of your lager brewing process. Before we do that, there's nothing easy about brewing beer. It's an intricate, time-consuming art. The last thing you need to face is a recall or contamination that can hurt your pride and your pocketbook. Clarion Lubricants meet strict purity and performance standards to help make your system 100% food safe. That's protection for your equipment and for your beer. So make the switch to Clarion and ensure your system is running smooth and safe. Go to clarionlubricants.com to learn more. So we've talked a little bit about cellaring, you know, and you, so you lager for eight weeks, you know, fermentation is pretty typical, 3470. Um, you know, you overpitch a bit, you know, any temperature concerns around fermentation that, uh, you know, or are you right in the 3470 sweet spot? Yeah, we ferment at 50. So um, just right kind of, you know, I would say right kind of in the middle of, of that. Right. So yeah, the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, and then are there, is there anything interesting or peculiar about, uh, you know, temperature curves crashing or, uh, you know, any of that other process around this? Um, we, uh, so we, yeah, we don't crash. We lower the temperature slowly. Um, so we're trying to, trying to make sure that we don't shock the yeast too much. Um, so we lower the temperature before we move about three degrees a day and before we move into lagering tank. So by the time we move into lagering tank, we're at about 41 degrees. Um, and uh, yeah, and then our lagering temperature is right around 35, 36. And these are all in Fahrenheit, just so yeah. people know. Sure. <laughs> that would be a pretty rough lager at yeah, uh, 36 yeah, little, degrees. Yeah, a little hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your, your quake temperature. Um, <laughs> then, uh, you, you know, and you mentioned you minimize transfers now. Is that, I mean, is that just new tank stuff or are there other kind of production concerns that uh, fed into that? Um, part of that was just a lot of it was the how much time it took. Um, I or brew house labor. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was way too much time, especially when it was only me, um, doing a lot of doing all the cellar work and then, <laughs> and then a lot of the brewing, um, it just became, it became way too much work. Uh, and so we were able to get, um, uh, racking arms on all of our tanks, which has been very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> the little things. Yeah. The little yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> Let's back up then and uh, and talk about recipes and the that kind of approach to to beers. Um, what what are, you, are the the biggest kind of core beers for your consumers that you're making year round and that you you know focus most on? Um, so Pills is really the only beer that we make year round. Um, yeah. It is our uh, Bohemian style Pilsner, and um, we have a couple of kind of beers that we've made 
throughout our existence. Um, we make a dunkel, um, we make a Schwarzbier, which it really isn't a Schwarzbier. It's kind of between a Schwarzbier and a Czech dark locker. That's <laughs> how I would describe it. Um, so we've, we've made those two kind of throughout our existence as a brewery. Um, and then we have a few seasonals, um, Bobtoberfest, which we actually have coming up. And I just actually tried it today and it's tasting delicious. And that's our, um, that's our kind of German style traditional Märzen. Um, so you and, take the Märzen approach to uh, to Oktoberfest. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I we don't quite brew it in March, but um, uh, did I did brew it in? Um, I think I finished brewing it in mid May this year. So, um, so it gets a As lot of water. The, the more pale fest beer approach that uh, is, uh, yeah, maybe more current among yeah. Oktoberfest fans. Yeah. It's such a, you know, in our latest issue of craft beer and brewing, there's a Joe Stang wrote a story about that because we've been, certainly we've been tracking that. And there is this interesting idea of Oktoberfest from an American perspective. That's very much based in Märzen where, uh, the actual fest beers that are served today are, are much more pale. Um, but the history of Oktoberfest is super weird. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, <laughs> you know, you, even looking at where things are today, you know, it's all dynamic and, and constantly shifting. But you all are sticking with that kind of more merits and approach to, uh, to Oktoberfest rather than the more pale fest beer. Yeah, yeah. And we have done we have done the pale variety, too. So there's a um, Oktoberfest that takes place in Mount Angel, which is um, probably about an hour drive from McMinnville. Uh, and we actually did a, like one of the pale, like Wiesen beers um, for kind of, kind of for them did a small batch. Um, so that was kind of fun. So, um, but yeah, our tra- Bob Toberfest is the traditional Meritzen. So <laughs> when it comes to pills, let's talk about pills for a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, what's the what's the creative idea behind pills? You know, you mentioned the Bohemian pills, and so I assume we're going to be using you know uh, Czech uh, you know Pilsner malt, and we're going to be using Czech Zots hops. Um, yeah, is there uh, are there sources, regions, approaches, um, ingredient suppliers that you prefer for this that kind of help capture the character that you all are looking for? Um, so we use a combination for the pills. We use a combination of Vireman Bohemian Pilsner malt and their floor malted Bohemian Pilsner malt. Um, and then uh, we, yeah, it's um, pretty much Czech Sots hops. We use a tiny bit of Magnum um, just to help us a little bit with the bitterness. Uh, but other yeah. than that, it's Czech Sots all the way through. Um, heavy first wort hopping edition. Um, and then kind of lighter as we go on through the boil. Um, and I, we don't decoct, which I know will piss a lot of people off. <laughs> so well, it, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say that in my conversations with American lager brewers that, uh, you know, the verdict is still out and yeah. that, uh, there are plenty of strongly held opinions on both sides <laughs> and, uh, beautifully made beers with and without. Yeah. Yes, truly. Um, and I, I'm, I, if I had the ability to cocked, I would on our system. I think that's, that's one thing I think that, um, you make the beer you can with the system that you can. Um, and you know, it's with the system that we have, we can't decoct. So, uh, we why don't. would you decoct <laughs> if you could? Um, I just think for Czech style Pilsners, I think it does add a certain mouthfeel. I think that we are able to get it with, without it, um, with our mash schedule. Um, and, uh, and so I don't think that, I mean, in that sense, there's an issue. I think it's kind of more of a tradition thing. Um, and I actually think it's, um, I think decoction adds more of a cool character, um, for darker beers in my personal opinion. Um, I think that that can add some really nice flavors and um, you can get a little bit drier too, which is nice um, for those darker, darker varieties of beers, heavy or higher, higher gravity, higher gravity beers. Right. What is it about your mash schedule that you've tweaked in order to kind of, you know, adjust for the fact that, uh, or to create some of the character 
that you might otherwise get through decoction. We actually have a pretty we have a pretty standard mash schedule for pills. Um, I think the thing that we do is we actually so we mash in pretty heavy, uh, pretty thick, um, and then we um, we're raising it to um, probably about. 137 degrees and i think it's just that's what i look at at on on our mash mixer <laughs> when, and then we actually um we add hot liquor to it um t- and i think i actually i think that that allows it to you get this kind of like back sweetness um because we're kind of raising the temperature pretty fast because otherwise um i think we would maybe get a little bit too dry because our mash mixer um, while it is great, it is not the most efficient. And so it takes a long time to raise to temperatures. Um, so, and then we're, uh, our next rest, our long rest is at, um, 153. So a very standard kind of schedule. Um, and then we're mashing out at, uh, 161. So we don't do like a true mash out temperature on that. Um, and mash schedules is something that I've been messing with a lot lately, but I won't touch pills because I'm like, I don't want to change the flavor <laughs> profile too much. Um, but yeah, I think kind of doing that quick rise gives us this kind of sweetness um, and doesn't allow it. I mean, it. we finish, uh, this finishes, starts right around 12. Um, there's some variation between batches and then uh, it finishes like right around 2.7, 2.6. So we're still getting some of that sweetness. And I think that that is kind of what you're looking for in a bohemian style Pilsner. You kind of want a little bit of that malty sweetness. Yeah. And then what's the IBU that balances against that? Um, This is at 36, approximately, you know. Approximately. Calculated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe a little bit bitter for what some people might think of as bohemian pills. I think that there's kind of this misconception about um, a Pilsner is supposed to be pretty hoppy, pretty bitter. I and, agree. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, I, I think especially American audiences, and maybe this is um, because a lot of the uh, Pilsners that we're getting from Germany and from the Czech Republic are, um, you know, they're they're stale, they're a little bit oxidized, so you don't get that super fresh hot flavor. Um, but, um, I have yet to go to the Czech Republic that's next on my list, but I have heard, I mean, going there, it's, they're hot, they're hoppy beers, you know, they have great hop aroma and hot flavor, um, and should be a little bit bitter. Um, so they should, they should, this is, this is another one of Joe, our managing editors, you know, you know, pet issues is trying to push more bitterness and Pilsner and, he, uh, when he got down to Austin and saw that uh, Real Ale's Hans Pills was a 55 IBU uh, Pilsner, he was like, I've <laughs> got to go find that. And, of course, he's been on a mission to convince other people that they should make Pilsner at that kind of IBU level. So, um, But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you know, so that's a, a, a – but that creates a nice balance and that amount of bitterness. I mean, when we're talking about sweetness, I mean, even 2.6, is just pretty mild. And, you know, like, it's there. It creates yeah, some body yeah. and a little bit of heft, but it's not – normal people don't perceive that as sweet exactly, per se. Exactly, yeah. And especially with that extra kind of oomph of bitterness, you probably want that kind of, you know, little bit of sweetness in there just to kind of help – offset are there any other you know methods or, or levers that you pull to to kind of create a, a character to that um you know on the, the the mash and ingredient side um i really think that um you know we haven't always for we this was something that we added when did we start so first we're hopping i'm a huge fan of we do it in all of our beers um, I can't remember the year when we started doing it. I think it was when we have, when we transferred to the, or when we, um, installed the 15 barrel system that we have now, I think it was shortly after that. Um, but, uh, just kind of reading a little bit about first wort hopping and we were kind of like, oh, we should try this. Um, and definitely noticed a different mouthfeel, um, in the beer and I, I don't know if it's like a huge thing, but I definitely like when we did kind of a side by side, we were like, I don't know if it's huge, but I definitely like this one better. That's been first word hop. 
Um, How would you describe the difference between in mouthfeel between a first wort hop beer and one that wasn't? Oh, man, it's been such a long time since I like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I have plenty of non first wort hopped beers. Um, but uh, it's kind of like, the, I would say this, this smoothness that you get. Um, I don't know, it's hard to kind of really describe, but it just, um, it felt like it was a cleaner hop flavor. If that makes any sense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah. That becomes the holy grail for that kind of, you know, you know, mid bitterness level, like having it there and present, but having that kind of softer entry or at least that kind of rounded edge as you pop into this thing, like it's still big and firm, but it just, you just ease into it rather than it just coming across as ragged or, uh, abrasive or this kind of like, you know, sawtooth kind of, you know, grating, you know, bitterness. And that becomes the, the thing that, I mean, it, it, it gives it a polish that, uh, you know, that can be really pleasant for the drinker. Yeah. You know, low alpha hops, first wort, first wort hop. And I think it's funny. I've talked to other brewers about first wort hop and they're like, oh yeah, we first wort hop. And they're like on a, like a 60 barrel system and they add like 500 grams of um hops and i'm like oh i'm adding like three kilos at like um so we do a heavy load a lot of first word hops we have a heavy load especially on pills um and yeah i do think you you did a great description i think it does have like the certain polish that you get um and uh kind of a lingering uh hop flavor and and a hop bitterness um that you you don't necessarily get otherwise it's like more finessed yeah yeah you know and that's the i mean the, figuring out how brewers do these things is uh is the fascinating piece for me and so there there it is first word but a lot of first word hops. a lot of first word hops. a lot okay um <laughs> you know like, like in terms of percentage how much is coming in in first word how much you know pops in later in the boil and uh you, do you dry hop or or not no dry hop um Man, at least half of our hop load. Um, I'm trying to do like, yeah, I think it's, I think it probably is about half of our hops that go into pills are at first wort, maybe slightly less. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and we do a pretty, a pretty standard. I mean, it, we do kind of like an old school hopping for, uh, for pills, for pills as well. Uh, So nothing at the beginning of boil. And then we do, we do like a 15 minute to end of boil edition. And then, um, and then we do a whirlpool edition, which I know is so taboo these days, but <laughs> is it taboo? It works. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everyone I've talked to, I talked to lately is like, Oh man, you still do whirlpool editions. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I can, I guess conceptually I can see it that if you've got that much hop load, that's, in your boil from first wort all the way through, then you're potentially volatizing a whole lot of aromatic compounds, even though you're isomerizing the shit out of everything. Yeah. And also coming up with something bitter and trying to make sure you're punching some aroma in there in a way that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, adds that to it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the side, it just makes sense in a general, <laughs> general way to me. I, I, <laughs> Doesn't there seem that weird. I like, I doesn't, like, doesn't seem that weird, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about about some of the other lagers you brew. What's uh, uh, you mentioned the Stieg Alt? Is uh, is there are there other favorite lagers that you make? Is that uh, um, you know some of uh, some of your other lager children here? The, these recipes <laughs> that you've developed and that you've been able to to kind of uh, you know keep working on. What are what are some of uh, the favorites that you make and what makes them uh, so interesting to you? Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I think the, um, Zwickel beer, which is, uh, I say Franconian style amber lager, that's a, um, Marsbrau, Ungespunden, that's a, a clone. Um, I kind of modeled that beer off of, off of that beer from Marsbrau, which I, is one of my favorite beers. Um, and I've been really happy with that. Um, the last, this, this last year um i think i really kind of got it in its sweet spot um how what what is it and i mean i'm curious like how do you taste a mars brow beer and say i'm going to make my version of this i think what's part that of creative it, process look like 
um, I think it was kind of, um, a lot of it is just like, okay, if I were to, how I kind of see it is if I were to build this beer, what would I do? And then it's also doing some research of like, oh, well, like what, since I don't necessarily know, you know, what are the most likely hops that they used in this? Um, and, you know, tasting it and, and kind of figuring out um, even, you know, what's, what, how dry is this? Like, what's, what's the mash schedule? What do I need to like figure out right. to like get this, you know, the way, the way I want it. Um, and uh, so kind of that it's, you know, kind of a, and, and for that beer, it's, it's been a little bit of a trial and error because I think, you know, the first time, um, and it's never going to be a clone clone, <laughs> obviously. Um, but, uh, it's the first time I made it, I think it was like a little bit too dark. So it's like, okay, I need to scale back on, um, it's the version that I do is heavy in Vienna malt. Um, so it's like, uh, and I can't even remember the first time I brewed it if I probably had some crystal in there, which I think I probably just took out. Um, and uh, and yeah, kind of going from there and seeing like, you know, how can I? And I think one of the things for me was like, I need to make this a little bit drier. The hop character isn't right. I need to change the hops and um, use some really delicious Herzbrucker in it this year. And I think that was like, okay. Herzbrucker's off. I need to use for this after. I think I did Spalt in one batch. I can't remember what I did in the first batch I did of that beer, but what is it about Herzbrucker that uh, that just made it click? I think it was kind of um, Herzbrucker just has this really um, it has a spiciness, but it also has this nice floral quality, um, and it's not. Um, I think it's like I want to almost say like pungent but it's not pun it's like it's pungent in the right ways um so i think that that beard does have like um i sometimes for me floral hops get a little bit too floral and sure. um and in this beer i wanted something that had like kind of a little bit of that spice character and i think herzbrucker has a good balance of of that sure Sure. So another lager, uh, you know, of, of your creation that you, uh, you really enjoy making these days. Um, I always, I love making Bobtoberfest. It's, it's a fun beer to make. It's a beer that also, um, is named after my uncle Bob who passed away. And so it's kind of, um, a way to remember him as well. So that's kind of, that's just, and it's one of my favorite beers we make. So, um, so I love that beer. And what makes it, what makes it your favorite and what do you, um, how do you put your heater Allen twist on it? Um, so it's, I mean, it's definitely kind of a more traditional Meriton. Um, I would say it's probably slightly, I feel like all of our beers probably lean a, a little bit more bitter than their German counterparts. Um, sounds good to me. <laughs> um, yeah, this beer, like I, we try to lager it for at least 12 weeks. So it gets a long lagering time. Um, and, and it's during the summer too. So tank space is like precious that time oh, of year, but yeah. we make sure to like, you know, that's, and it's one of our more popular seasonals. So, um, and, uh, and yeah, and that's a beer too, that, um, I've been kind of fiddling with the mash schedule a little bit. Um, trying to get it a little bit drier <laughs> that's that's kind of what i've been what i've been doing lately um and we also like there's this this is not brewing related but there's this playlist um that we always listen to when we brew it that is like all my uncle's favorite songs and that sort of oh. thing so it's just kind of a good it's kind of a good you know memorial situation and yeah yeah, well, you know, making beers that are meaningful and that, you know, have that kind of connection and feel like family is uh, is as important as having the best recipe and the best process around it. Yeah, totally. Um, in a, uh, a kind of bigger picture, let's zoom out for a minute. Um, you know, it's a tough thing being a small lager brewer making even that kind of, you know, production. <laughs> 
but being profitable at having a business making lager beer. You know, it's something that, that people expect to pay a little bit less for than say, you know, an $18 four pack of heavily hopped, you know, hazy IPA. Um, you know, there's, so there's the, the price expectation around it. And it's generally speaking a volume game where brewers that make lager, make a lot of lager and they do fine as a business because they make a bunch of beer. It's tough to do it at the kind of scale that you all are doing it. And yet there's clearly a love and a passion for what you do. Um, how do you manage to a business at that kind of scale and make sure that, uh, you know, number one, that the bills are paid, that people get paid and that, that, uh, people can enjoy this process and have the lives that they want to live while trying to make enough beer to, to make enough money and, and keep the, you know, everything rolling along at this, this lager program. I think part of it is very like the simple thing of, um, there is a reason the brewery was started in McMinnville. Um, rent is cheaper here. Sure, uh, u- sure. Utilities are cheaper here. It's also kind of um, one of those things that we self-distribute as well. Um, So, you know, there's no middleman between us and our retailers. And we do work with a couple. We work with a distributor in California and a small distributor here in Oregon that does like Bend and the Coast and stuff for us. Um, But, yeah, I think that that's been a huge reason that we've been able to... um, you know, stick around and have a competitive price for our beer as well. Um, because you have other breweries that, um, are making a lot of lager and they're with a distributor. And, you know, even if we, we can charge the same price they're charging, but we're getting, you know, more of that margin. So, um, I mean, that's just simple, you know, math. Um, and there were a lot of people at the beginning that, you know, I think thought my dad was a little crazy for sure, sure. trying to sell a keg of lager for the price that he was. Um, there might but... still be some people that think he's crazy for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think too, um, I mean, we've always kind of slowly grown and I think, you know, we're, um, we are still planning on growing. I think we want to get, um, a little bit bigger. Uh, we do have plans for tank purchases in the near future and, things like that. So it's not, um, it's kind of just a slow growth process rather than just, you know, spending a ton of money to begin with. It's kind of, um, spending the money as we have it and as we're able to spend it. Um, so my dad, his first job was in finance. He's He's applied that rigor and financial discipline to this business and made sure that, uh, you all don't owe anyone and and aren't beholden to other folks for, for what you do. Yeah. 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 I think if he had, um, investors or something, um, we would probably either not still be in business or we'd be a lot bigger than we are. Fair enough. Fair enough. What's the, what's the big picture for Heater Allen and, uh, you know, what do you, hope to achieve and and how would you define success and and when will you know if you achieve it? I think, um, eventually, yeah, eventually my dad will officially, officially retire. Um, I, uh, I have always wanted to have more of a direct to consumer presence. Um, I have worked in front of the house stuff, um, prior to going into the beer industry. Um, and, uh, I think that there's a potential for, uh, growth in that area. So, um, I think in the next few years, uh, we're going to really revamp our tap room. Um, that is essentially still closed. Uh, we right. closed it because of COVID and just have not reopened it. Um, and so I'd really like to kind of develop that. Um, and also, I mean, there's, you know, little but not little things, uh, eventually down the road, getting our own canning line, um, getting a few more lagering tanks, um, so we can, you know, brew more beer. Um, yeah, just kind of, you know, I still, I still see our growth as being somewhat slow, but, uh, I do, I think there, there are things that, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, a little bit more <laughs> ready for than I think, you know, my, I think my dad never really wanted to, you know, have a tap room of any sort. Cause that's a whole other business. Um, 
I think that's what the consumer is really, really wants. And I think that we have a cool space that we could, you know, make a really cool experience for people. So um, I think that's kind of where my focus is right now, aside from obviously making great beer. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and yeah. And rethinking the customer experience at the brewery and, and how they feel connected to where the beer is made. Yeah. And I, there's some small things too. I think that the brewery we have or the brew system we have is, um, from, you know, late 2013, um, got it at the end of like beginning of December, I think was our first batch of 2013. We brewed on the brew house we have now. And so there's just things that we have, we're needing to replace. So some of it is just making some improvements. Um, our, you know, we need to repipe our glycol, kind of little things like that, just to make sure we're making the best beer we can and having the best situation for that as well. Sure, sure. Well, Lisa, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. G&D Chillers will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. Set your compass by Roar North Star Pills. Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion Lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. If you're a pro brewer or you know, consider our new all access pro subscriptions that combine the magazines plus exclusive content like those classes that I was filming last week out in uh, California with some really fantastic uh, folks, uh, classes with everyone from uh, brewers from Firestone Walker to Russian River, Alvarado Street, Cellar uh, Maker. It's going to be fantastic. Anyway, sign up for all access. Be a part of that. Um, upcoming, this is episode 198, which gets us. We're really close to episode 200. And I've got a special guest for that one that's already recorded in a special, beautiful location out on uh, the coast of California. So tune in for that one. But Lisa, thanks for joining me on the podcast. If people want to learn more about Heater Allen, where do they find you? Our website, heaterallen.com. Uh, Instagram is at heaterallenbeer. Uh, and yeah. Of course, read the cover story and the latest issue of the Brewing Industry Guide because, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic story of family, craft, lager, and everything else. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.